the cross on his back that day. I followed the bloodstained footprints he left as they led him Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus Christ paid the debt? And boy, we don't have to now. Amen. Boy, is that wonderful. What a tremendous message and song that is this morning. Again, today we have with us uh, Brother Keller, and uh, he's our missionary, and we're excited to have him with us today. Again, you're not going to want to miss tonight already. I, from what I understand, tonight's going to be his best message. At least that's what he's telling me, I believe, is tonight's the best message. So after that, <laughs> I'm teasing. I don't know. He's just going to preach for us and bring whatever the Lord lays on his heart. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's got to say, but what I do know is that he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I do know is that he's sacrificed and he serves the Lord Jesus Christ with his whole heart. And boy, I'll tell you what, I'm confident that God's given him something for you and I. You know, nothing happens by chance. God doesn't just leave things to chance. And there's no, it's not chance that he's here today to speak for us. Therefore, uh, there's something that he has that each of us needs today. Let's open our hearts and let the Lord Jesus speak to us. Brother Keller, won't you come? preach for us today. Tell us anything you need to know, some background, whatever you need for us to understand, and then go forward. Okay. Thank God you, Lord. <laughs> I don't know about that thing you said about tonight being my, my best, but <laughs> I'll, I'll pretend. <laughs> How are you all doing? Boy, it's great to be back. Um, it's been five years, I think, since I've been here. Four years on the field, first term. Um, 
four years it's, uh, doesn't seem so long when you're over there, you know, because you get a, you have so much to uh, engage in, so much to, uh, it, you know, it's a very steep climb that first four years. So you're always uh, dug in and it, it, it just, you're just kind of consumed almost by the process of learning the language and uh, the culture, um, trying to develop relationships with people that you have nothing in common with. And uh, it, it, all of a sudden the four years is just over and it's time to come home and see everybody and you know this is a very important time for, for you as well as for me. Because uh, you know a lot happens in four years and you need to share it. And um, I'm a single man. You know, we had a little comment about singles, and I'm a single man. And um, prepared in the ministry, you know, saved in my late 30s. Um, in, got involved in community outreach with nursing homes and prisons, and that's where the Lord developed me for the field. And then missions partner was called to the Philippines. A year after he went, he invited me to come and visit him. And it was during that visit that the Lord grabbed hold of me and made it clear that he wanted me to be involved in missions in the 1040 window. And, and somehow or other, he used being a dentist to do that. So I had no idea, really. But I say that just to make a point that going, going to the mission field and being a mission, missionary isn't just for youngins. You know, some of us guys in my age have been around the corner a few times and we have a few experiences under our belt and that comes in good use over there and um, I'm just really thrilled for the opportunity you know the Lord still give, kept maintained my health for me and um, he did enable me to use dentistry as a platform to share Jesus Christ and it's a good platform um, I quickly realized when I was over there that I was over my head, truly over my head. When I began my job at the hospital, um, with only one year of language study, I really only knew the ABCs. That only, that, that's only the ABCs. Um, none of the people spoke English in the countryside town where I went to. Um, and I had no to no translator, so I was in deep water. Um, people just walked in the treatment room. Nobody over there makes appointments. They just walk in. And uh, sometimes two or three different families will walk in at the same time, and you're in this little room. And um, you have, you know, only the minimal, you know, no running water, no x-ray machine, no, um, no good equipment. One old, one, we had one old drill that, that half the time didn't work. And... Um, you know, most of the people waited until they were dying before they came in, so they had loud, just, you know, horrible, ate-up teeth that needed to be taken out. And, um, you know, I, it was just, you know, when, you, when you're a dentist in America, you, you refer all that stuff. You know, you just send that to the oral surgeon, and then you just go back to doing your fillings and crowns and implants and things like that. But over there, they don't have money for that stuff, so, and, and, and they don't, have the education that we have, uh, so th they don't know about prevention. They don't know why you know why eating that candy hurts their teeth so bad and so forth. So, 
They just come when it hurts, and uh, and there they are. And so, um, so it was a, it was an overwhelming experience for me. One time, I remember, uh, soon they they even found out. You know, this is a small town, 300 families, and word just gets around real quick. And they found out where I lived, in this in this little co compound on the edge of town, and um, they started showing up at my at my door. You know, at all odd times of the day and evening, to get immediate uh, emergency care. This one guy showed up on a Sunday morning about 9:30 on a motorcycle. He and his friend. Uh, on motorcycles, and they parked behind my gate, and I was getting ready for church. And I looked out the window, and I saw this guy. And he walks in, and he opens the, the the back gate, and he's looking for a dog. You know, they're always looking for dogs over there because everybody's got one because everybody steals from each other, and the dogs are the only way to keep them out of their places. So, so he thought I must have had one too, but I didn't. So he just finally kind of walked in, and he had his mouth wide open, just wide open. It was stretched open as far as you could open it, and and I just looked at him and I thought, what is this? <laughs> and then his, this other guy walked in behind him. So I walked down and walked out and I, I, I talked to, the, to his friend and I asked him what, what, what he was needing. And he said his mouth's locked open. And he said, we just came from the countryside. We just rode three miles, three, three hours in on motorcycles from across the mountains. And he hasn't been able to close his mouth in days. And um, we wondered if, we, if you could help us. <laughs> What a thing. So, you know, you just, I just got him over, and I, 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 I got him in front of my, uh, my, little, my little cabin here, and I sat down on, a, on, a, on my step, and, and I had him lay down in my lap. And, you know, you, you have to, you know, have them, you, they put their head in your lap, and you put your hands in, your, in their jaw, and it's almost like setting a shoulder or anything else that goes out of joint. You got to kind of, Get, get it open even further and then kind of get it in the right position and close it. So thankfully, I knew how to do that. <laughs> and this guy was just, you know, so, so a minute later, we, we, had it, we had it closed. And I don't want to tell you what I saw in this guy's mouth, having driven three hours with his mouth open on a motorcycle. <laughs> but we got that baby closed, and, and, and he was one happy camper. I, I tell you, and this was just um, one of many, many situations like this that came to my door over the period of time I was out there in this little town. But you also have no idea how much these people appreciated it. You know, prior to my coming, they had never had a Western doctor, and they had never had, uh, you know, really sound, good treatment and, and sensitive treatment, you know, caring about whether they hurt or not. And so the people really appreciated it. It was a wonderful way to make friends. And once you, once, you, know, you did that for them, they never forgot you. Our, our hospital room had very little. Um, hepatitis is a big problem. And they had virtually no infection control at all. And so I was at great risk working there for the spread of hepatitis. I had to put together a whole thing to be able to protect myself against the spread while I worked. The director who hired me and the young lady Mongolian dentist, we had a young lady in her 20s, mid-20s, who uh, had graduated from their school over there. And she, was, she had been there before I got there. And she worked in the afternoons. I worked in the mornings at the, at the hospital. And 
you know, they, they were just quiet around me. They, they just didn't go out of their way to befriend me. They, they were glad I was there, but they just never asked me anything about myself. They never asked me about my family. You know, just anything personal, never asked. Never, uh, never invited me to their home. Never asked me to go out for a bite to eat. Never introduced me to any of their family. It was just the oddest thing. So I was just on my own. Uh, I never had a meeting in three years. Ne never came to me and asked me if I was doing okay or if I needed anything. Um, it was kind of just figure it out, sink or swim. And um, so it was just rough. Some days I'd go home and I would just sit in my, in my cabin and, and just um, think, son, what, what were you thinking? coming to do this. What in the world were you thinking? <coughs> Mongolians were very simple people. Very, very in, in the countryside, they grow up in very modest means. Families lived in a small one-room tent or wood cabin. Had a very simple lifestyle and depended on each other for everything. Traditionally, their religious uh, spiritual bent was shamanism, like our Native American Indians, and Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism. But in 1990, following 75 years of communist rule under Lenin, atheism took hold. They destroyed almost all of the history. They they killed a third of the adult population. You know, all the religious people and well-educated people were killed. And um, so the, the population was young. And they had been brainwashed most of their life towards folks like us. You know, we're, to them, we're the capitalists. And capitalists to them means that we're people who are always trying to exploit others for personal gain and that Christianity was the religion of the capitalists. So it, it wasn't for Mongolians. That's what they were raised to believe. So after a year, I felt the need to get closer into town, so I left that compound on the edge of town, and I got a little cabin right in the middle of town near the hospital. And that was risky because no other Westerner had done that before, because uh, you know, everybody lives real close. And um, you open yourself up to some things doing that. There's a lot of drunkenness, a lot of theft, um, people, no privacy. So people are always coming around, looking in your windows, knocking on doors. And, uh, you, you know, you just got people kind of all over you. And, um, but I just got out and started walking. That was my thing to do, just get out and walk. I had no vehicle, so I walked. Walk to the store, walk to the schools, walk to this, walk to that. And, and early on, after I started that, these young kids would, would call my name. These are kids that had come to the hospital for treatment. And they would they'd remember me, and they'd see me in the distance, and they'd say, Tom, Tom. <laughs> and, and I'd look, you know, and there's a little, little kid out there, and, and I'd say, I'd go, you know, hi. And, and then they'd come running to me. And we'd... They'd want to just, you know, they'd grab my hand and we'd just start walking. They, they asked me where I was going and I said, told them where I was going. They'd just think that's great. So they'd just grab my hand and we'd start walking. And, you know, they were the ones I really got to know in the beginning. 
and and they and they, they after a while they started asking me if I'd help them with their English. So I before long I had a bunch of them coming over to my little cabin, my new cabin, and they were having their lessons with me on Saturdays, and and then the word got around, and then the bankers started asking me, the bank tellers, and the Mongolian English teachers started asking me, and pretty soon I had more English lessons going on, but that's where I started to really meet people and get to know them. And um, conversations started to get longer. I, my, my language uh, skills started to improve. And eventually conversations got to the point where asking about spiritual things was natural. And that's where my grassroots evangelism began. People always ask me, are you one of those Jesus people? And when I said yes, they, they got this funny look on their face, kind of like, you know, that's just too bad. You know, we're, we're so sorry. <laughs> so, you know, what I, what I realized early on was that there was no way that I was going to be able to just pass out Bible tracts and expect to get a lot of result. You know, thank the Lord for Bible tracts. I passed them out everywhere I went. And any other Christian literature that we had, in you know, that had been translated was a, a, just a joy for me to have. But my point is that it was just so obvious. Every bone in my body told me that I had no chance of reaching these people for Christ if I didn't show them Christ. They had to see the real thing or they weren't buying. You could see it written in their faces. It was in their, in their DNA. So today, I'd like to just share with you something that the Lord showed me about that. You know, in the Bible, the Lord has given us some things to talk about what it means to, to really be a light to people, the real thing. What, it, what does it take? So I'd like you to open your Bibles to Second Peter, excuse me, First Peter 2. And we're going to start in verse 11. 1 Peter 2.11. This is going to teach us how that we earn the right to share Christ. How to demonstrate Christ to the lost world. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your, your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, Fear the king, honor the king. 
in verse 11, abstain from fleshly lusts. And this can refer to sexual lust, investments, material things, you name it. There was one, one female uh, Mongolian English teacher who was one of the really, really nice, nice people that I got connected with early on. She really went out of her way to help me and make me feel at home, invited me to the school, she, you know, to graduations, uh, performances, and many things, which I was really happy to be able to go to. Um, and so it was just a, a pleasure each week to teach her as well as this other uh, couple teachers in, in, the, uh, in the middle school in town. They knew English, but they needed a little tutoring, so I gave them, I was brushing them up. So we, we, we got a nice relationship going. Um, but after a while, she started calling me all the time on the phone. And just to say hi, you know, and it was, it, it, and it kind of got to be a once a week thing. And I always replied, you know, just thank you for calling. Wonderful, you know, to, to know you're doing well. Uh, I'm doing great, thanks. And um, then invitations to go to her home. And um, of course, you know, being a single man, that got, that got a, little, a little tricky, you know, because you want to be gracious, always want to be gracious, to be void of offense with God and with man. But sometimes, you know, you just have to say no. Because, you know, I, I was in a precarious position being in town as the only foreign guy. And, you know, uh, Mongolian people are not real wild about their women going with foreign men to begin with. And especially, you know, in a small town like this, word spreads so quickly and you can, you can get a whole grapevine going that uh, isn't going to help your reputation any. So, so at a certain point, I, um, and, you know, if you engage in something like that as a Christian, it just starts to ruin your, your conscience toward God. It starts to hurt your confidence about sharing Christ with others. And, and pretty soon you, you start to lose track about why you were even sent there in the beginning. So you got to be so careful about sexual things. I had to avoid her advances, and eventually she stopped, and she became cold toward me. And, that, and then she stopped coming to classes and, you know, probably gossiped about me around in town. And, and you know, that was difficult. It's always difficult because, you know, you're working so hard to develop relationships and to develop your reputation, and you don't want anything to hurt it. But what are you going to do? Well we got to do what the Lord says. Amen? Amen. And, we'll, and we have to just trust that the Lord's going to bring something good out of it down the road. And we just have to keep doing what we know we're there to do to the best of our ability. Right? Verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. You know, I, this young lady Mongolian dentist worked Came in, the, came in the clinic room to kind of look, look over things during the day, and she'd often come and go while I was working. But all the money that came from patients, you know, when we extracted a tooth or did a filling, all went directly to her. And that was made known to me in the beginning. But Mongolian people don't always keep their word, and especially when it comes to money. They're not always, you know, um, the most reliable and 
they don't always operate with the highest integrity with paying back debts and things like that with each other. Well, this young lady sometimes would, without telling me, she would leave town and she'd go to the city for a week or two and sometimes even a month or two and then just come back and she'd be back. Well, what was I going to do with all the money that was coming in all during that time? Well, I put it in an envelope in the, in the little dresser that we had in the, in the clinic room. And when she came, she'd come back, she wouldn't say anything to me, and we'd, we'd have our, we'd exchange pleasantries. And, bef you know, then she'd get ready to walk out the room, and I kind of left it go. I didn't say anything about the money, just, just on purpose. I was trying to see what, what she was doing. She wouldn't say anything to me. And so finally I got up when she was walking out the door, and I, and I go, oh, 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 just a minute. I almost forgot. And I'd walk over, and I'd hand her this envelope that was full of money. And, and she'd walk back in and she'd look at it and she'd, she'd take it and she'd open it up and see all those bills in there and I could just tell that she was amazed that I had kept all this money for her. She, I could just tell that she wasn't expecting that I, that I did. But what was I to do? I could have gotten away with it especially since she didn't even tell me she was leaving and just kind of left me hanging to fend for myself with all the folks, which, and it was still difficult because I was still struggling with the language. So she knew that she had put me through the ringer by just disappearing like that. But even though it would have been almost justified, we all can't do that stuff. We can't, we can't do that. If we're going to be serving the Lord, we've got to be above board. Always. Always. Because we don't, we're not serving them. We're, we're serving the Lord. Amen. Right? And it's to the Lord we look to for our reward. And we know that every time we do it God's way, he never lets that just fall and disappear. Amen. He always brings something good out of that. And we just have to trust that he's going to. Amen? We should be kind, we should be patient and honest and upright in how we deal with people and how we do our jobs. And whereas they, they may speak evil of us as evildoers, sometimes, you know, they, they say about us Christians that we're intolerant, mean-spirited, rigid. But if they keep watching and keep seeing how you operate and keep seeing how you, you maintain a good spirit, the Lord can put to silence their foolishness. And what does it mean, the day of visitation? In the day of visitation. Verse 12 having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Well, the day of visitation refers to the day when the Lord returns, Amen. right? Amen. When he will set everything straight. But you know, I also think sometimes the day of visitation can really represent a time in people's lives where they're forced to really confront their relationship with God and their accountability to Him. Oftentimes it comes through suffering. 
through difficulties. But, you know, you and I may be the only person that they remember that, was a, that really demonstrated that close walk with God and that willingness that we had to, to, to do it his way and to trust him with the outcome. You, might, you and I may be the only ones that people see, but in their day of visitation, you also may be the only thing that they have to put their confidence in in what, that they, in what they saw with you. And, and that by what they saw and, and with you causes them to say to themselves, I want that too. I want that close walk with God. I want to know God as, inti as my intimate father and to walk with him day by day in my life. That's what I want. And it's time I need to get right. My director, you know, after, after I put this infection control thing together, you know, I, which basically means wiping the room off between patients, cleaning, cleaning up the blood, you know, we were, I was extracting teeth all day. And I had no assistant, nobody to help me. I had to do all the cleanup myself, but they didn't have anything to use, so I had to put it all together myself. I had to figure it out. And I started washing my hands between patients and doing, following this same little song and dance between patients while I put the dirty instruments in the, in the holding solution, came back and got my hands washed again, put on new gloves, got new, new, new instruments and put them on the table for the next patient, wiped down the chair and did all that stuff. Well, I, I did that for, for over a year, with, and she watched me do it. But she wouldn't follow my example. And there was, in the spring and fall, we would travel to these little towns across the mountains to do dentistry for the school kids for four days. 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. every day, dentistry all day. And all day long, she'd be working here, and I'd be working here. And between every patient, I would get up and do the same thing, clean up, do all those things, and she would not. And my director was standing back here on, at the big table with the sterilizer, you know, sterilizing the instruments, the, the, you know, between when they got all dirty. And she never required that that young lady do what I was doing. And it burned me up sometimes. I just thought to myself, how can you be so negligent? How can you take... The, how can you watch me doing what I'm doing to protect these people against the spread of hepatitis and you watch her doing nothing like there's nothing she can learn from me and just let her get away with that. So it just kind of got into my craw. So what was I to do with that? Was I to just get ticked off and Get back somehow. Sometimes I thought about it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm human too. But the Lord says no. We can't. The Lord says, "Return evil with good." No matter what. Does that mean we don't? We never sit down and discuss it? No. Sometimes we have to discuss it with the person. And I did, more than once. But eventually, you know, even after doing all that we can do 
to rectify an obvious problem, we, we can't let that stuff get the best of us. Because if we do, then we remove God from the ability to work strong in our behalf with those people. We, we, we base, basically take the Lord out of the equation. So we must return evil with good. And this rep represents the love that God showed us through Christ's death on the cross. You remember in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the spirit and the basis for our returning evil with good. And we have to do that. For so is the will of God, verse 15, for so is the will of God that with well-doing we may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As time went on and while working in town, my director saw me come to work on time. She saw me do my work thoroughly and well. She saw me treat the people sensitively and with care. Day to day, she witnessed the favor of God that, that, uh, that, he, that he gave me with the patients and with the other doctors and nurses in the hospital. Although I was, wasn't asked beforehand, she saw me show up to work days on the, on the hospital property to help the Mongolian laborers repair our hospital grounds and, how the, and, she, and she saw how this endeared me to those people. This kind of behavior helped to silence any negative impressions that she may have had about me. When you and I show compassion, put in a full day's work, deal with other people honestly and above board, keep our promises, go the extra mile with things, this goes a long way to putting to silence the foolishness that people were thinking about us. As free, verse 16, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Our liberty as Christians is not given so that we can serve ourselves. Amen. Like that message we heard in Sunday school today about Samson. It's given so that we can serve God and others fully. And when we do it, that attitude leads us to respond to their faults and shortcomings with patience and understanding. Verse 18 to 20, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For when you do well and, and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Near the end of my third year of work, after having waited several months for my renewal, my dental license renewal, and this was now the third year in a row where I had been delayed. It had been delayed for several months each year. And I had to therefore not work for several months. It got very frustrating. I had to, you know, I was there to work. I was there to serve. And I was single, so I didn't have a lot of other things to do in that little town when I wasn't working. And, you know, there was a point at which I'm sure my director because I had talked to her about it before. She knew it was frustrating. She knew that, that this organization, the Ministry of Health, was not doing their job. They were really holding me up, and it was just really un unnecessary and inappropriate because I was there as a volunteer, being paid nothing and giving these people such a service. At, some, at one point, she probably just thought I was just going to take off. <laughs> and I also, also thought about that from time to time. 
But the Lord, I seek the Lord about it, and he said, nope, I want you, want you to give him a donation. I had brought a whole bunch of stuff with me from the States when I went over there. In my suitcases and in big boxes, I had shipped. And uh, the hospital had gone for a long time without new stuff. And the Lord wanted me to give it to him. So I, I got one of my herdsmen, my Mongolian herdsman friend with me. I borrowed his, his old rickety truck and we loaded it up with these boxes and I took it in. New dental chair, new treatment chair, new dental unit, you know, that runs the drills, lots of new surgical instruments to use and supplies and we took it in and we walked in the front of the hospital this one morning and carried it down the hallway to the clinic room and opened the door and my director and the young lady dentist were speechless. All, everybody in the hospital was, was just watching closely. And as we un, undid the boxes and took out all this new stuff, I could just see my, my, the, the young lady dentist and my director were, were just wondering, why would you do this? Why would you, after all of the pain and the frustration that you've been through, why would you go to this extent to help us? Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense on a natural level, does it? But this is, this is how the Lord works. This is how the Lord moves hearts. This is how the Lord uses us to prepare the hearts of people who are lost to, 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 to open up. I don't know really what it's all going to lead to. I was able to lead some of these people to Christ. I was able to, to disciple some of these people. But... You know, it wasn't easy, and there was a lot of resistance. I don't know really how, over the course of time, the Lord is going to use that type of thing. But something inside says that he's going to. Over the course of time. I may not see it with my own eyes, but they were, they were awful thrilled. And it made them wonder, is this, is this guy and his Christianity really something after all? Is there really something to it? We look back and we look at the way that he behaved, the way that he worked, the way that he's handled situations with our work days and so forth. Maybe there's something to this. Well, I believe the, Lord, the Lord's message to me was, this is how we need to be in order to really effectively go to people with the message of the gospel. If this is the way we're living, you know, it's not getting so easy in America now either. When I've, since I've come back after being away for four years, I'm pretty amazed to see just how in your face they are about issues. And, um, and, the, and, and just how they've categorized, you know, Bible-believing people as being really the cause of a lot of our social evils. There's not a whole lot of tolerance for us. They've, 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 they've bought some lies and they've, they've developed some attitudes and it hasn't made life easier for people like us. So how are we going to handle that? Well, I, the point is, is, it's not getting any easier to hand out tracts and stuff here either. You, we've got to be showing them the light. We've got to be showing them Christ in our day-to-day -day life in order for them to really be willing to see our message as relevant and powerful. So I'm going to stop there, but 
you, um, I just want to thank you for, the, for those of you who prayed for me while I was on the field during that first four years. It was a hard uphill climb for me, and your prayers were, were so, so valuable, so important to me. And I just want to thank you for doing that and for your support as a church to, to stand with me in the work that the Lord's doing over there. I, um, I often thought of you, and it's just such a joy to be back and to look at your faces and be able to thank you. And uh, so pray for me in regards to what we're studying this morning that I would continue to do my best to, to be that light, and I will pray for you for the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and love you and just appreciate